When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Election College, episode number 209, John C. Breckenridge, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey Jason, how you doing? I'm doing better than I even expected. Wow. Did you expect to be doing well? I don't know. I just, I was going to say better than I deserve. And that's a whole Dave Ramsey thing. And I just, yeah, I, I, that too. That too. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Well, I am, I'm doing pretty well as as well. Uh, I I didn't ask you. Yeah, I I know. I just thought maybe everybody would know. Uh, (laughs) But I was thinking, I was thinking that maybe uh, we should do something a little different this episode. Okay. I'm nervous. I, I think. I think we should probably talk about uh, history um, okay. of political figures. I don't know how you feel about that. Oh man. Oh. Uh, um, okay. Well. Okay. I guess let's do it. <laughs> Whatever. Well, <laughs> in the last episode, Jason, we talked about John C. Breckenridge, and wow. I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it yet, first of all, do. But second of all, like, don't you want to go back and like have a stern talking to with your history teacher because. If you're like Jason and I, you don't know anything about John C. Breckenridge before this episode. <laughs> well, at least nothing to speak of. Yeah. And if there is any one person who exemplifies pre-Civil War and how somebody basically, I mean, he's from Kentucky, and is holding to a position that sympathizes with the South, or is he really holding to a position with the South? I don't know, but he's somebody who's a Democrat living in the middle of the 1800s, and it's a conflicted way to be. I mean, I I guess that's just the best way to put it. It's a conflicted way to be, and he's trying to figure all of this stuff out, and I think his life exemplifies that. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get more into that conflict um, between, you know, his country and his beliefs and how those things kind of play out. But we've talked a little bit about his early political career. He ended up not being the nominee for president. And it was even a little bit conflicted on whether or not he was going to be a nominee for vice president. But turns out 
as luck would have it, he is. Right. So, yeah, where we left off last episode, he gives this great speech, as he was known to do, saying, hey, we're moving out of the Senate chambers into these nice new chambers. (laughs) I was trying to say another word besides chambers, but that's exactly... I could have said space, right? I should have said... There you go. We're moving out of this space into new Senate chambers. And we want to preserve the union. And guess what? Hannibal Hamlin, you are going to be the new vice president. I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. But that's what ends up happening. So in 1859, he pretty much knows that Buchanan has no chance of becoming the Democratic nominee for the election of 1860. And so I'm going to jump just ahead a little bit because there's a lot to say about the campaign of 1860, but he ends up swearing in Hannibal Hamlin as the vice president. And then in just another moment, Hamlin swears him in as a Senator. It's kind of cool. I guess we'll yeah, they basically like flip, flip the book. Like here, you hold the Bible uh, and I'll swear you in and then I'll hold the Bible and you swear me. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, let's uh, talk about that election of 1860. Cause it, is pretty important to our nation's history and Breckenridge, he played a big role in it. Absolutely. So basically we realize that Breckenridge like doesn't want the nomination. He tells everyone that he thinks the vice presidential position is awesome. Uh, you know, every, everybody who's ever <laughs> held the vice presidential <laughs> position and just thinks it's great, uh, obviously, but there's this guy by the name of Douglas and, I think we've all heard of Stephen Douglas by this point. We've even done a few episodes on him, so those faithful listeners out there will know a little bit of this backstory. But Stephen Douglas is really the front runner uh, for the Democratic nomination. And Douglas is like, well, Breckenridge is probably going to be the candidate as well, so I guess we hate each other now. That's just basically how, how it works. Like if, if we're, if we're opposing on something, we obviously just hate each other. So, uh, you have Buchanan who kind of has to out of guilt or out of, uh, allegiance to the party is kind of a, um, a, a reluctant supporter. Uh, and it gets pretty interesting when the democratic national convention takes place in 1860 in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, there's all these people from Kentucky who are super interested in Breckenridge, and there's all this like support for Breckenridge, and Breckenridge is like, nah, I, I'm not going to attend, and also don't even bother nominating me as as long as you know, James Guthrie is a candidate still. Yeah, so James Guthrie didn't go very far at the convention, and you've got a lot of stuff happening that affects the outcome of the convention. You've got the pro-Southern Democrats who are like, no, no. Popular sovereignty, that's not good enough. We demand that slavery is something that just is. It's codified into law. The federal government should protect states to be able to have that institution. We're out of here. Whereas the Northern Democrats are like, hey, popular sovereignty, your state or territory gets to decide. And 
because the Southerners bolt out of the convention, it makes things a little twist turned upside down. <laughs> I guess that I guess that's the best way to put it, right? I think so. So in the midst of all of this, Stephen Douglas is like, no, I'm not going to compromise with these Southerners who left the convention. They were called bolters. And it's not like the San Diego Chargers bolting out of San Diego. It's <laughs> the Southern Democrats bolting. So it ends up being a four-way contest in the election. And you've got Lincoln, Douglas, Breckenridge, and a dude named Bell, which let, let's not even worry about Bell right now. It's not a big deal. Breckenridge comes in third with only 18% of the popular votes, comes in second in the Electoral College. But of course, we all know that Abraham Lincoln wins. He gets 180 electoral votes, and uh, this definitely wins him the election. Uh, it's a very divided election. Uh, most of the South, if you were to have a minute, look look at the 1860 electoral college map uh all of the southern states pretty much uh are for breckenridge and a large majority of the northern states are for lincoln and so you can really tell as if we didn't know already but you can really tell the division in the country at the time and see just exactly uh where everybody lies with breckenridge and you know we, we've talked before breckenridge is a southern supporter he's a a former slave owner. He believes that uh, slavery is in the law. It should be just there. He even believes in the right to secede. So we're going to see this make some pretty big impacts uh, in his life going forward as well. Yeah. But anyway, so, he loses the election. <laughs> yeah. Which results in what we were foreshadowing. We didn't even foreshadow. I just blurted it just out, out, didn't it. I? Yeah. Yeah. Breckenridge, as the vice president, announces Abraham Lincoln as the winner of the Electoral College on February 13th, 1861. A few days later, Breckenridge visits Lincoln at a hotel in Washington, D.C. And, of course, he is married to Breckenridge's cousin, Mary Todd Lincoln. And in this intermediate period where you have a new president, you have a lame duck Congress for about a month, things are starting to not look good for the Union. States are starting to secede. Southern states, that is, are starting to secede from the <laughs> Union. And on March 4th, 1861, this is the day that Breckenridge swears in Hannibal Hamlin. Hamlin swears in Breckenridge. And you've got seven states that are gone. So Breckenridge is kind of alone in the Senate because you had all of these pro-slavery senators and they're gone because their states decided to leave. It's kind of a lonely place. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, Breckenridge is now a senator. I think Jason said the words, but we didn't say it officially. Breckenridge, you know, loses the uh, the presidential, the vice presidential nod, and instead now he is a senator. So it gets a little bit interesting because Breckenridge is, like Jason said, pretty lonely, and there aren't many Southerners still hanging around. So they're, of course, trying to find some compromises, but as is the case with most disputes, 
both sides have pretty strong opinions that they're not willing to give on. And we're just talking about Breckenridge this episode, so this isn't a Civil War lead-up episode necessarily, uh, but you can definitely research some of that stuff and find out a lot of those big issues that were in the Senate at the time. Uh, it's really interesting because there were a lot of issues that were uh, brought up by both sides that were not actually important uh, to, to either side, but it was like, a, this is a hill we're going to die on kind of situation because all they wanted was to, was to be able to say then, um, well, if we get this through, then you have to let us do this other thing that we want to do dealing with slavery, whether it was pro or against. And uh, it was funny because many times the opposing side, even if they didn't like that thing, would just kind of give in so that then the other side didn't uh, have a favor coming to them. So maybe I got that a little bit convoluted there, but basically... Uh, you have people trying to play politics and nobody wanting to play ball and even trying to like do favors for each other, but nobody wants to take a favor. So uh, it gets sticky. Yeah, it gets really sticky. You got a guy <laughs> who is the vice president. He's running for president. He loses. He announces as the former, as the outgoing vice president, the new president. A month later, he swears in a new vice president, is now a senator. He oftentimes casts the lone vote on the pro-slavery side of issues in the Senate. And by the time August 1st rolls around, he's like, hey, if Kentucky sides with the federal government against the Confederacy, quote, she will be represented by some other man on the floor of this Senate. And that's kind of where it all hits the fan. I guess that's the yeah. best way to put it. It hits the fan uh, because you've got Confederate and Union forces beginning to saber rattle, uh, maybe a little bit more than just rattling. They start doing stuff in Kentucky, and Breckinridge is thrown out of the Senate. He's one of only really a few senators in our history who have been told, get out of here. And he leaves and he says, hey, I'd rather be a soldier than a senator for the next six years. Well, and not only was he thrown out, he also was indicted for treason, which, I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But remember in these early days, it was pretty serious. It still is serious, but it was pretty serious and uh, pretty common for people to be thrown out on their ears for being treasonous, but never a senator be convicted of treason uh, or be indicted for treason. So he and 10 other senators get booted out and uh, the Senate shrinks a little bit after that. And just in case you think, whoa, this is shocking. How could this ever happen to a vice president? This isn't the first time a vice president or ex-vice president has been accused of treason because our buddy Aaron Burr accused of treason. Pretty serious. Do you think that killing Alexander Hamilton in and of itself was enough to for treason since they were like both government officials. I don't know. I mean, the whole concept. I mean, there was of plenty killing. of other stuff. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I I just am shocked and appalled when people say that politics are much worse now than they used to be. Yes, agreed. So, Breckenridge is then commissioned as a brigadier general in the Confederate army and he has some troops that he's commanding, and we won't get super into this because a lot of it is uh, uh, 
military talk and a lot of it has to do with different battles that went on but basically uh, Breckenridge continues to go up through the ranks he gets promoted to a major general uh, he gets injured at one point as well and he does a ton of you know really accomplished things that we would consider really accomplished feats uh, while he's there in the confederate army until uh james seddon resigns his position as the secretary of war for the confederacy and jefferson davis remember jefferson davis is the president of the confederacy says hey breckenridge uh you're gonna do this job now and breckenridge is like okay like i guess I, I guess i'll do it so keep in mind all the while breckenridge has a family and they're having to flee south and I don't know, Ben, if they ever had been in the Deep South before, but this is a pretty scary time. You think about his family, his wife, you know, like she's having to pack up her things and and leave familiar territory because Kentucky by this time is a very much ensconced as a union state and they are fugitives from what we now would call the law, <laughs> the, the recognized law. And yeah. and so Breckenridge, yeah, he's the Secretary of War for the Confederacy, but that doesn't last very long. Before it ends, though, he actually is the one who put Robert E. Lee as the General-in-Chief for the Confederate Forces. So you have uh, for some of that really interesting Civil War history, for those of you who are into studying all the battles and uh, everything that happened, all the stuff that Robert E. Lee did, uh, you have Breckenridge to thank for putting him in the position to be able to do it. Anyway, let's continue on. And Breckenridge is like, you know what? It's hopeless. Uh, we're not going to win this war. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to start delegating stuff. And Jefferson Davis is like, dude, come on. Like, we're buds. You believe in this. And Breckenridge is like, nope, I don't anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I still believe in it, but I can't in good conscience be in charge of it anymore. So uh, he ends up bailing out. And so Breckenridge, as he is resigning and withdrawing from the position, uh, he is like, okay, look, we need to get all the Confederate cabinet members out of here. We need to make sure that this city is destroyed. Uh, Richmond, that is. We need to make sure that all of the archives that we have, you know, in any sense of the word of the Confederacy are preserved. Even if that means the Union gets a hold of them, we need to make sure that they preserve them. Oh, and also, uh, we're going to literally burn bridges because when they leave, they burn all the bridges over the James River. And... Uh, his son is a Confederate officer in the Navy as well, and he's like, I'm out of here too, and resigns his post and moves on with good old dad. Yeah, so Breckenridge flees the United States or the Confederate States, or he can he just leaves, okay? He leaves Florida <laughs> and he heads to Cuba. And have you ever been on vacation, Ben, and run into somebody that you know? Yeah, that actually happened yeah. to us one time. Yeah, I was in Myrtle Beach. Didn't realize you were going to Myrtle Beach and checked Facebook. Oh. and you were like, "Hey, I'm in Myrtle Beach." I completely forgot about that. Remember that? That was weird. That was a long time ago. Yes, but it was. but Breckenridge didn't have Facebook. But there he yeah. is. He's in Havana, 
and there's a Kentucky, I'm sorry, he's in another city in Cuba, and there's a Kentuckian living there, and he's like, hey, Johnny, come on over here. <laughs> and they <laughs> they were like, can you give us a place to stay and maybe some grub? And they're like, sure, stay the night in this hotel. And then they went to Havana, and Breckenridge was offered a house. Just a point of clarification. Don't do this today. I think if you take a boat from Florida and go to Cuba, you're probably not going to run into one of your friends, and you're probably not going to be treated as hospitable as he was. Especially if you're running from the government, which he was. Yeah. So he goes from Cuba to Great Britain. He hangs out there with some former Confederate agents there. Then he goes to Canada, and he's reunited with his wife and all of his kids, except for one of his sons, in Toronto in September of 1865. They spend a lovely winter. Can you imagine winter in Toronto in the 1860s? Hmm. Sounds messy. Yeah. (laughs) And then they head south to Niagara. And then later that year, they hear, hey, it's not safe. (laughs) Um, Don't go into the United States. So they go to Europe, and he meets the Pope and visits Pompeii. And where did he get all of the money to do this? He embezzled it from the Confederate government. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so he's like, Europe's not that bad. So he goes back. So he's there in Europe for a few years, and he's doing all the stuff that you would do if you were running away from the United States. And he decides maybe it's safe to go back to Canada. So in 1868... He's in Canada. He sees the United States across the Niagara River. And somebody tells him, hey, guess what? Andrew Johnson, he's totally got you hooked up because you're pardoned. Ain't nothing yeah, going to happen to you. <laughs> can, can you imagine how terrifying it would be to know that you basically betrayed the country that won? Uh, the country that you betrayed them for has dissolved. And you were basically part of that reason that it dissolved and now you're worried that well if the other side catches me they're going to kill me so let's just go wherever i can including france and canada and pompeii (laughs) like (laughs) of all places to go he must have just really been looking for a vacation i guess because like pompeii doesn't doesn't strike me as somewhere you would like go to flee from someone but hey whatever works for you (laughs) right Oh, so he goes back to Kentucky after he finds that he's not going to be killed for existing. And he lives there. He doesn't buy any property. But like a lot of former Confederate leaders, insurance companies come after him and say, hey, you want to work for us? And he's like, well, I guess I need to make some money. You know, I have to pay off the credit card bill from uh <laughs> going to Pompeii and so on. He serves as a general counsel for the Cincinnati Southern Railway. By the way, Ben, did you know this? The Cincinnati Southern Railway, okay? There's this uh-huh. railroad track that goes from Cincinnati to Chattanooga. Okay. And Cincinnati owns that 
track. Okay. And so Cincinnati effectively owns property all the way to Chattanooga to this day. Wow. That's really interesting. The, that That's your free thing. But yeah, Breckenridge was involved uh, with that organization. Later on in life, U.S. Grant, he's like, hey, Breckenridge, we were buddies way back when. We fought against each other. We tried to kill each other, and we directed men to kill each other. But why don't you go back into politics? And what 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 do you think Breckenridge would say to that? Nope. <laughs> I definitely don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> well, and it's also interesting, Jason, because even if he had wanted to do that, because he had sided with the Confederacy and was basically ousted from office, he would have had to have a two-thirds vote from each uh, House of Congress, so both the, the House of Representatives and the Senate. But, I mean, I don't know that that would have been difficult, but either way, he never tried. So we can pretty much definitely know, <laughs> no, I don't want to be involved. Yeah. Um, later in life, he uh, publicly denounced the actions of the Ku Klux Klan and he supported in 1872 the passage of a state statute which would successfully legalize black testimony against whites in court. So it'd be interesting yeah. to hear his perspective, you know, because basically um, in the 1860s, the New York Times thought that he died and wrote an obituary talking about how he's a traitor and he's the most awful person in existence. And, uh, yeah, you can look it up. Google mistaken obituary for John C. Breckenridge. It's, it's pretty interesting to read. <laughs> so in the 1870s, he gets pleuro-pneumonia, and they try to take him all over the country, and he ends up not getting any better. They're just trying to go to different environments and get him different surgeries and different doctors. And he meets with some doctors later on, and they're like, yeah, you've got cirrhosis. Uh, and your you know sources of the liver, and this is because of all the different types of things that happened through the war, and maybe some injuries and stuff like that. So, uh, also fluid filled part of his lungs. It's a whole bad thing for, uh, for Breckenridge at this point. They they do some things to try to give him some relief, but eventually, uh, he ends up passing away at the age of only fifty four. So, um, he was buried in Lexington Cemetery, still there today. And that's the end of Breckenridge. Yeah. The Louisville Courier Journal for his obituary said, his real obituary said that Breckenridge was, quote, truly representative of the rebellion as an actual force and its underlying causes. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. Such a conflicted man, it seems like. I mean, I don't know if he was conflicted, but it seems like he constantly wanted to continue doing the right thing and didn't know which side to be on, I guess. I mean, he knew what side he believed in, but it's like he always had sympathy for, for the North. Yeah, in a way. But, um, you know, if he would have just taken a stand, if he would have been public one way or the other on the uh -huh. whole slavery issue, he probably would have secured the support of the whole Democratic Party, North and South. And that is what he didn't have. And if he would have had it, he probably would have been president of the United States. And guess who wouldn't have? Honest Abe.
on this tape. That'd be interesting. Alternate history. Here we come. Yeah. It's going to be a long time before we talk about Honest Day because let's face it, a lot of you know a lot about the Civil War and we need to be really prepared for that. <laughs> so we are going to be reading up on some of the figures, namely the biographies of the presidents and their wives and the vice presidents from the Civil War through the Gilded Age and so on. But we are really excited because... Two days from now, we're going to release our first episode in our series on First Ladies. So we're going to start with Martha Washington on the next episode. Yeah, a ton of you have been mentioning that, and we've had uh, surveys that we've done in the past. You've mentioned that, so here it comes. Get ready for it. But to make sure that we can keep going, we need you to go over and leave us a review on iTunes. That's right. If you don't leave us enough reviews, the iTunes machine will shut us down. That's not true, guys. I made it up. I made it up. It's fine. Uh, but seriously, it does really mean a lot to us whenever you leave us a review on iTunes. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, it is uh, one of the biggest places for podcasts and one of the best places to find reviews. So go over to electioncollege.com slash review or just pull it up in your app and leave us a short review, hopefully five stars, and we'll appreciate it. Yeah, we'd love to interact with you on social media at Election College on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.